0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us again today. I have got a guy on here that is a phenomenal rock star on LinkedIn. He is a sales trainer. He hosts four podcasts. Folks, it's hard for me to host one podcast. This guy is, he hosts four podcasts. I got to, we're going to ask him about that. I am definitely going to ask you about that. He's got a new book coming out on Harper that you can get. And again, it's just a real joy to have Justin Michael joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Justin, what's good? How you doing today, man?
1: I'm great. I love the name Intentional Encourager, and uh, yeah, it was great meeting you through Dale Dupree. I love the positive energy and uh, the prayer, and I just think we need good shows like this that inspire people in these in these times. I know it sounds like a generic email, but we're living through some crazy times, and so I'm all about positive psychology and paying it forward, and you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people shared their secrets to success with me. I sponged them up, so I'm just kind of an amalgam of a lot of people that came before, and I like to do the same thing. I like to work with people and help them achieve their career targets and get better at sales.
0: Man, that's awesome. And we, we will dive into that because, again, that's where I cut my teeth over 20 years in sales. And so we will definitely go there. I got to ask you something, though. Your LinkedIn profile calls you the Elon Musk of sales training. Now, my 20-year-old is a huge Elon Musk fan. And so my 20-year-old son is going to geek out when he hears this podcast when it's released. So tell me about being the Elon Musk of sales trading. I've got to start here with you on that.
1: Well, the legend has it that Elon wanted to build rockets, and the U.S. government said, that's fine, it's a five-year waiting list. But that's not what happened. He went and studied, well, how do you build a rocket? You need beryllium. And then he said, where's a beryllium mine? And then who are people that can make and mine beryllium? And so what he did is he deconstructed a rocket to first principles and started to build a rocket factory. Did the same with solar. It's done the same with the boring company. It's done the same with reimagining the automobile, which is very similar to the old days where everyone wanted faster horses. No one thought much about an automobile. So my questions in sales are, why is sales about email? And why is the phone about a script? And that seemed weird. And in software as a service, why are there SDRs and AEs? And almost like you know, my six-year-old daughter, I just started asking fundamental questions about why things are how they are. And then I rebuilt the entire system from scratch, uh, wildly different than how it exists today. Justin,
0: tra- I got to jump in here, man. I'm sorry, I had to jump in here. It is amazing the wisdom of kids. Kids see something at such a rudimentary level And a lot of times, and I can remember when my son was six, he would ask these profound questions because to him, it was like, well, you should know the answer, dad. And to me, it was kind of like his thinking and perspective was just so base level. And it's almost like, well, why didn't I think of that? I I, got to ask you, what was the one thing that surprised you when you were talking to your six-year-old about this? And she was saying, well, dad, it's it, it's like this. I, I'm sure you had to have an aha or a V8 moment when you talked to her and you said, how do you understand this?
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure if she helped me actually crack sales directly, but definitely her outlook on the world is, is very pure. And there's a lot of curiosity, right? Like one of these questions that little kids ask is like, why is there war? Or why is okay. it, you know, why is, you know, some basic things. And then as adults, we sort of, become the muggles on um you know Harry Potter and we go oh well we're gonna just deal with war right that's fine but like, the kid <laughs> yeah. is right the kid is right you know like we shouldn't live in a world of war you know and so it's just that basic way of looking at stuff that's dead broken when asking you know and you start looking at email campaigns well this is great the team sent five thousand emails and got two meetings five thousand emails and got two meetings uh oh yeah, I was able to make 100 cold calls a day and book two meetings. So you contacted 500 people and got two meetings. I mean, stop the insanity, the volumes with all the automation, it's outrageous. So I wanted to study the brain and neuroscience and figure out some techniques that might be more aligned. Maybe there's something missing in email. Maybe the way everyone in sales sends email is off. And maybe there's something about the way we all make a cold call that is not working. As well as it should. So that's kind of where it started for me, and that's why I really relate to Elon Musk and the way he's broken down some of these systems that have always been done a certain way. I also love Buckminster Fuller, who talks about, you know, don't fight the prevailing model, build a new model to displace the old ones. And essentially my emails are very short, they look like text messages. So a short text message email takes three seconds to process if it's one sentence or two sentences long, one word subject line. Uh, versus three paragraphs, which takes 13 seconds. If you put a visual in an email, it's processed at 60,000 times faster. Um, There's all sorts of things going on linguistically with what the words represent and the meta of what it insinuates and the emotion of what the words are. So getting away from templates and looking more at meta frameworks or heuristics, which is a coding term, and it just means the next level of what the linguistics represent. Mm -hmm. Then I ported that over to cold calling after having tremendous results and uh, I found that everybody was using the same cold call script, the reason for my call. And I decided to open the call with a question and create call frameworks for the prospect talks 95% of the time, which create, creates elaborate amounts of trust rapidly. Yeah. And then I pitch later in the framework, which has never been done. So the, the, you're doing a prospecting call and you're not actually pitching or identify while you're calling to like a minute in or two minutes in. It's just never been done. And so, you know, email is visual. And phone is tone or power shifts. And that's just a statement that is radical. And in 20 years of software, um, maybe others have figured it out, but it's never been codified. So I created a group called the Salesborg, Seller and Cyborg, and I train over a thousand people and I give all this stuff away for free to open source. And I mean, testimonials roll in at a speed. Uh, it's just <laughs> blips and bleeps 24 seven. I'm getting testimonials from everyone using the system. And you can get it yourself, salesborgs.ai. Just put in your email and all the free guides are there. That's what I got.
0: Well, and Justin, here's the thing too. I love what you said about Elon Musk because at the core of this thing, it's about really stripping down all the excess that's there. Elon Musk said there is there has got, you tell me I can't build a rocket. I'm going to prove to you that I can you tell me I can't build a high performance electric car. I'm gonna show you that I can't. And I saw something the other day, Elon Musk said, I'm gonna step out, I'm gonna step away from Twitter and social media for a while because I can't. It's the way the mind, it's the way his mind works in the fact that he doesn't have to do what you tell him he has to do. He does what he feels like and his convictions tell him he needs to do, and then he goes all in on that process. I love what you said about redefining because what I heard you say was redefining connection. In other words, the old ways were, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I'm calling you because. What you're really doing is you're connecting with that prospect and you're saying, tell me what's important to you through a question and you do all the talking, I'll do all the listening. And you'll tell me more in three or four minutes than I could ever ask you 50 questions to get the same volume of information. I love that. And, I, and I've said that, and I said that in my book, People Buy From People, people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. And so what you're doing is you're just allowing that prospect to connect to you themselves instead of forcing that connection forward.
1: Yeah. So what's really strange, it's not just about the question, it's what the question is, which I can get into, but um, there's all this stress now on personalization at scale. And I actually believe it's relevant to scale. So I know why I'm going to interrupt you because I know who you are as a persona. I know that you run IT and a fintech company, and I have other fintech companies and IT people, and they have these similar challenges. So I know that I, what I'm going to interrupt with you with is a valid reason. It's a challenge you face. What I find is that people who can by software have power so i usually say if they're in charge of it i say well john who's in charge of your it at acme corp this this whole expression of who's in charge of and they typically say i am which is very interesting which is actually the first word of the bible yahweh it's yeah. a very powerful statement so i mean this might be the only thing they're powerful at their life they can't really control their their spouse their kid their society their health not really they can't really control it you know So, but they can control their budget and they can spend on your solution or service or not. And it reminds them, they love to tell you elaborately about, you know, yes, I'm in charge. And then you ask them about their current solution. They'll tell you on and on and on about why they bought it or why they didn't buy it and why. And you just listen to them give you an earful about their status quo and you don't make them wrong. And you don't argue or differentiate or, oh, well, that's why you should use us. Or, oh, of course you must have this problem. You just say, well, that's great. You use Betacorp. They're great. Tell me more. How's that working for you? So I have this really different call framework where it produces active listening and it speeds up the trust because you're just sitting there and hearing a prospect out about how they currently solve for something. And it's very radical because they're used to every other seller saying, hey, it's Justin Michael from Justin Michael Consulting. I have great sales techniques. They're better than everyone else's X, Y, Z. And you're trying to make a logical argument to convince a prospect who really they don't even know that they have a pain. They've already adopted some other way of solving that. And the minute you do that, they're just gonna recoil and defend. And that's why you get all the objections and have all the rebuttals. My calls are like, I'm just listening to this person talk and talk and talk and talk. And then suddenly they say, what is it that you do again? And then it shifts to me. Yeah. And then they're kind of driving sale. And people, you know, they buy with emotion, emotion and they clear, they uh, buy with emotion, and they close on logic. So once they've yeah. actually taken interest, then I can pitch because they're receptive now to what the pitch is going to be. And so the combination of these hyper short emails with visuals that that go into the sequencers and this really radical call framework, which is pitched later, has yielded this method, the Justin Michael method. And it just, it creates a scenario where the emails and calls LinkedIn work are just converting at a much higher level. And uh, I think it's because it's just more aligned with neuroscience, the fight or flight mechanism, how the brain works. Yeah. People actually buy in, in, you know, these micro moments of snacking and thin slicing and these these subconscious gut instincts. We process so fast within nanoseconds. Yeah. We make judgment if we feel safe or there's trust, even the tone of the voice. It's like we have these brains that have been, you know, around for thousands of years. And no matter how you see it, it's a very, and it's amazing. Um, it's one, one brain is more powerful than all the AI on the planet still. So keep
0: that in mind. Um. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for search engine optimization. Now, what's that? You might say. Well, search engine optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Well, you you I love what you said there. So a couple of things I want to unpack there. I love what you said. The the first thing that, that I got from that was affirming a person's status quo because Again, you, you know, when, when a person feels like they've made a good buying decision, they do two things. They either tell other people about it or it gives them some kind of positive uplift. Like I have done something really good for my company and my well-being and for my career. And so I love that. We, you know, salespeople don't do enough of affirming to the customer, you, you, get, you made the right decision initially. And the second thing that I, that I love what you said was, how people buy. And I think a lot of salespeople have forgotten how how they they have forgotten the way they buy themselves. And they've forgotten the way that other people buy because they've forgotten it themselves. And it's and it's not to your point. I love that. It's not to your point of this is why we're better. It's, hey, listen, I'm, I you just told me what you told me in three or four minutes. And I appreciate you sharing with me how you buy. They just shared with you how they buy and what drives them. What do you think salespeople are missing and continuing to do things the way they've always done them? Is it change resistance? Is it is it lack of knowledge or lack of information? Because it would seem so rudimentary what you're talking about and the power and the effectiveness behind it.
1: Well, I think what happens is you go and you write best email template and you go grab some and you kind of mix them around and you put it in your sequencer and you think, well, it's the best email template and they all look the same. They must be good. There's a hundred that looks the same. The biggest tech companies in the world are promoting them. It's on all the blogs. It's on, I'm not gonna name the names, but all the respected tech companies are putting them out. So I'm gonna do that for my email. Let's go get some cold call frameworks. Well, we don't realize that the cold call frameworks are identical the last 20 years. Actually, I had someone put up here the top twenty cold call openers and I looked at it and I said, Well, it's all the reason for my call. It's all let me tell you who I am and what it is. Let me hook you, let me differentiate. It's all, look at me and look at how the thing I have, let me indicate how I'm selling. Not one of them. The only thing that's the close to interrupt is Sandler where it says, it goes, um, hey, Brian, I'm making a cold call and I'm sure you hate getting it as much as I hate making it. And then the prospect laughs. But once that saturates, the prospect's heard that before. Mm-hmm. The question is pretty lethal because they're not expecting a question. The question is relevant to what their job role is. And it's not as simple as, like, you're an IT director and say, are you in charge of IT? I might say, well, who's in charge of your IT security? Or who does your fraud prevention? Or, you know, how do you do your edge computing from an IT standpoint? Who, Who heads that up? And then they say, well, oh, that's not me. That's Doug. Okay, great. Can I reach out to Doug and say we talked? And I mean, just say we talked. I'm not going to say you recommended me or be a sleazy seller. I'm going to reach out to Doug and I'm going to mention your name. Boom. Transparency, authenticity. I'm calling out the bad behavior of other sellers. So I have this great referral system too. So I get referred a whole ton.
0: Well, Um, and if him and Doug are good friends, he might proactively reach reach out to Doug for you and say, hey man, I talked to this really great guy, Justin. Justin reached out to me. We had a really good conversation. I think you should take 10 minutes and talk to Justin. And then automatically, Doug is receptive to talking to you because his buddy said, Hey, Justin's a good guy. You need to talk to him. And so, that you're right, that referral and that power of connection, one with another man, that's just huge in selling.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lower the cognitive load on the prospect. Because it's, it's a lot having, there's a, when a stranger interrupts your day, there's a fight or flight mechanism. And when you get a big email that's personalized, you, you F-track that, F-curve, you hit the thing and you snack it. And you're, you're fearful, like, is it a bill? Is it a legal problem? Like, what's wrong with this? Why am I getting this giant email from a stranger? And so when I get a short email, it just says overtly what it is. Oh, okay, it's just a salesperson with a CRM. Okay. <laughs> It's almost it lowers
0: yeah. the blood pressure in a weird way, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And, and Justin and, and for transparency to the, to the audience, when I reached out to you, I was I, I reached out with a little bit longer message. And so now that we're, we're talking and things like that, I, I can see and understand you know some of the things that we were talking about in, in our back and forth and getting this set up. And so man, this is really, really good stuff. I want to pivot here to the point in our conversation where you tell your story, because I think everybody's story is so powerful. And, and I always ask, how did you get from point A to where you are today? And so, Justin, in, in the next few minutes, take us through your story and, and how you got from where you were to where you are and some of those defining moments in your life.
1: Yes, so I've been in uh, sales for 20 years, uh, believe it or not. And I've sold just about everything you can sell, including a lot of things you probably don't want to sell. Um, I started as a rep, a teleservices rep. But I started to work in incubators in my mid-20s for SaaS startup folks from Silicon Valley. I had some mentors. And I had a couple of mentors in a couple different SaaS companies, got pretty good at that. I ended up moving to Silicon Valley, and I worked for Sean Parker. And then, uh, for those who don't know, the social dilemma and the social network, he introduced Mark Zuckerberg to Peter Thiel. So that seemed pretty cool. I was working in like a charity fundraising platform. And then I ended up in Indianapolis working for Exact Target, Salesforce Marketing Cloud. And then I ended up um, heading up sales teams at a dozen different startups, including sales development teams. And I moved from San Francisco to St. Louis, to New York, to Seattle, uh, pretty much every major city, from the Silicon Prairie to Silicon Beach to Silicon Alley to Silicon Shores. I mean, I, I, I held every position in the startup that I could for 10 years. And I just turned 41. I launched my own consultancy about a year ago. And I said, you know, my consultancy is going to be results-based. It's going to be, you know, proven and scalable. And if someone doesn't get the results, I don't even want to take their money.
0: You know, Justin, I got to ask you this. People are going to, they're going to, you kind of, you breeze by that, but I've got to jump back here for just a second. There may be folks that have watched. That's one of my son's favorite movies. is Is the Social Network that talked about Zuckerberg and and that I know my son, my 20 year old son, is going to want to listen to this podcast because of that. What was that experience like? Because people get caught up in the glamour of guys like Mark Zuckerberg and Sean Parker and guys like that who who created this this giant. You know, they were on the ground floor of Facebook and things like that. Was there something that you learned in working with Sean that, that helped you? What was that time like for you? Because, again, I, I would have to think this guy is a very well-known name, and, and, and the thing that he helped create with Mark Zuckerberg is, has been life-changing. I mean, Facebook, there's, you know, there's probably no one on the planet that doesn't know what Facebook is.
1: So it was remarkable working with Sean. He was the world's youngest billionaire at the time. And he was um, very down to earth and more similar to me than I could imagine. It's funny when I hear Elon Musk on Clubhouse, you know, he's just, they say, how's your day? He's like, it's, you know, I get up and there's some disasters and I've got chores, you know, he's just a man. (laughs) So what I was amazed by was how down to earth and humble and articulate and just on the level. And I see this with like Mark Andreessen and and different VCs that people have really made it and worked very hard to do so. And he was an intellectual, he was friendly, he was curious. And there was no veneer, there was no feeling of, I'm better than you, none of that. He was just actually, uh, when he was with me, present and actively curious in, uh, in my opinions. And that really st- struck me, uh, as I've now built my own business and, and gotten a little clout in my industry and have a book coming out, is just to maintain that grounded, humble approach and learn something in the genius, the unique genius uh, of everyone I meet. And uh, you know, I, I take that to my employees, now that I'm a corporation and a training company. And I just try to see the brilliance in people because actually they ask Elon that, they're like, well, how are we gonna have more Elon Musk? He's like, I'm actually more typical than you think, right? So um, what it is, is there's something unique and genius in yourself if you're listening. So you can turn that into a business and you can see it in other people. And if you see it in someone else, it's somewhere within you. That's that's what I've learned about gifts. Because you're gravitating toward it and you're enjoying it, you probably have a piece of it Within you now. I'm not saying you could do astrophysics or suddenly become a rocket science scientist uh, without the training, but maybe there's a desire there. It's uh, you're never too old to start.
0: And, and I'm just jotting notes down because this is so good. Because everybody thinks, well, Elon Musk had a certain thing that made him brilliant. Sean Parker had a certain thing that made him brilliant. Mark Zuckerberg had a certain thing that made him brilliant it was maybe someone to your point justin said there is a gift inside of you that you probably don't realize that you have but you have it and they encouraged it and they developed it and they worked with it as you have been in your own company now and you and, and you've you've thought about and i can tell just the first 5 minutes that we talked you're a, you're a contrarian thinker you think differently than a lot of people you understand that you have to think differently than a lot of people do, or else you're just like everybody else. When, when you are encouraging your employees, and when you're encouraging someone else, what's the one thing that you look to do first and foremost in giving that encouragement?
1: Well, that's the thing. I really try to play to people's strengths. I mean, there's a lot to say for cross training out the weaknesses, but I really believe that you take someone and you find what they're gifted at, not necessarily what they're talented at, but they're gifted at, and you just pour kerosene on that and let them take flight. So when I hired a, a GM to the business, I hired a mathematician and an algebra two teacher, because I realized I'd have to teach adults to learn to really be effective at training. I need to understand pedagogy and the science of teaching. And so this guy, uh, Patrick Joyce, is just brilliant in building curriculums, curricula, <laughs> my Latin's a little rusty, but he understands how to get change and to walk people through a process that reinforces a learning. And he understands how to take these insane ideas I have and break them down into these chunkable bits that people can digest and learn. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to just flash this stuff at people and it's wild looking. But the beauty is when you slow it down and you look what it, what we're doing, it's, it's quite simple And as da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So any uh, system, even the fundamental equation for the speed of light equals MC squared, that's a much more radical, difficult physics equation, but it boils down to something quite simple. Even if you think of atomic physics and particles, um, you know, so I just basically I'm looking at what a human does when they, they open their phone and they look at the screen and see an email. I'm, focusing on that nanosecond to figure it out you have 18 words to catch them and most sellers say hope you're doing well and so if you just don't ever write hope you're doing well you will be better at sales hey
0: everybody brian sexton want you to go check out my new book people buy from people 10 powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person my dad. My dad was the ultimate connector and the ultimate intentional encourager. And he shared with me 10 connecting lessons that I'm going to share with you in this book, interwoven with stories and personal anecdotes that will help you really see what connecting is truly all about. If you want to be a more powerful, stronger, deeper connector, whether you're in ministry or leadership or sales, you a business, whatever you want to do that connects you with people and you want to connect with them stronger, deeper, and more powerfully. People buy from people is for you. I want you to go to amazon.com and search people buy from people, Brian Sexton. It's available in paperback and Kindle and coming soon. Excited about this coming soon to audible. Thank you in advance for picking up a copy of people buy from people. And now let's get back to a great conversation here. On the Intentional Encourager podcast. I love that because that is, that has been the, you know, and I'll get it back up a second. That's been the way. and, And as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, is there a better way that I can communicate? Because I do, I use that. I hope, but I've used it for 25 years in reaching out to people, how do you, when you rethink a way that you do something, what's the first thing that enters your mind as you rethink about how you're doing something? Because I I see you as a person that is constantly iterating. And and I heard Mark Cuban say one time on Shark Tank, if you're not iterating, you're failing, You're, you're, you're dying because every great business is constantly iterating. They're moving from one thing. to Even if they've got what they feel is the perfect product, what's the next iteration? How do you self-iterate?
1: I love these questions. It's such a cool podcast. Um, For me, uh, my huge influence for me was Dave Sandler because David Sandler – was basically the whole theory is whatever you want to do naturally, do the opposite. And I got that from boxing too. Boxing is this sport where you teach your body to like lean into punches and put your hand in this weird place and you train yourself thousands of times to put it there. Yeah. The biggest thing for me is the prevailing things you're doing naturally are what the other thousand people will do. So if you do anything different than the natural flow, you're going to get recognized subconsciously. It's, it's like a subliminal message. If everybody's red and you flash blue, whoa, what's that, right? It's like the black yeah. swan. All the swans were white. They didn't realize in Australia it's the identical animal, but it's, it has black feathers. It's bizarre looking, there's nothing else different except, you know, uh, the pigment in its feathers. So I have always looked at the purple cow and Seth Godin and thought like a marketer and a brander to say, well, how can I differentiate, stand out, be different, be contrarian, be the outcast, be the rogue particle. But being rogue is like very Steve Jobs. Like here's to the crazy ones, thinking differently, yeah. right? Like he's putting out an iPhone, and Steve Ballmer, who's running Microsoft, goes, Hey, Steve, like that's gonna fail. No one's ever gonna do that. So he's like, okay, puts it out. Like Blackberry prevails. There are like tents, it's like Star Wars premiere things, the most successful ever, of, like of all time, right? Like by by miles.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Jobs embraced Jobs and en- Jobs embraced his unique, and I talked about that in my book, is that Jobs said, We need to do something that no one else is doing. Because even if it fails, we we've opened up this for, for good, bad, or indifferent, we have opened up a new way of thinking. We we have if if the iPhone fails, okay, so everybody's gonna go back to the way they always communicated before. But if we succeed, we've changed everything. And then you know, now with FaceTime, they were the first to to really say you now can call someone. And you can see them. So now we're going to change not only communication, but we're going to change connection. And now we're going to change information. And now, and so man, I love that you brought up Steve Jobs because I think he was one of those people that people go, My goodness, he was such a radical thinker. He was in he was internally encouraged to do the opposite of what everybody else wanted to do. I've got to ask you real quick, you mentioned moving from different places and different to, from, from, from Silicon Valley to St. Louis to New York to Seattle. Every time that you made a geographical move, what was something that you took away from the place that you were in? Because those are really different places to move to. I got to think that you took something away from every place that you lived.
1: Yes, I, I really did. Um, I found that they're basically the heart of darkness for technology really is San Francisco. I always figured out I could probably hit my whole number just in a square block. Um, technology is quite small in New York and, and um, in Los Angeles and Chicago and Seattle, a little bigger in Seattle, but it's still quite a small thing. But it's, it's really like has a religious fervor in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. And so, but what I loved about working in those different cities was there's a spin. Like in New York, there's a lot of financial services tech and media tech, and there's a specialty in the realm of how that tech future uh, fuses with the culture of that city. And there's almost an appreciation that it's not sort of the epicenter of where it is, but it's a satellite to, you know, the beating heartbeat of it. So even Washington DC has some really cool technology. Now we see technology everywhere because the price to do software as a service and garage ventures. But I really just enjoyed that specialization and the cultures of these startup companies. I worked in a lot of WeWorks and a lot of with a lot of teams that were sort of on the fringe, not, not in the mothership. And it was fun. I worked for LinkedIn and the Empire State Building, which was like a sales headquarters. And that was super cool because the time zone made it really easy to work with Canada and to work uh, multinational deals with Europe. And so I started learning how to do uh, global deals across different countries and states. And that was really fun to do the travel over to Barcelona or go to Toronto and just jump over the, the border there. And so that was really, really fun and fascinating. So. Yeah, it's always been the people, my colleagues and teammates and the culture, and also just the quality of the customers. And back in those days, we were doing a ton of on sites, So, you know, I've met with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of C-level executives um, in the Fortune 1000. And I learned more from the prospects than I did inside any of the companies.
0: Man, that's awesome. I, I'm jotting that down, learning from the prospects. That, that is so good. Justin, I've got two more questions for you. And you've been so gracious with your time in this episode. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced in your life, either personally or professionally, what was the lesson you learned from that obstacle?
1: You know, for me, it's, it's really about self-doubt. You know, I, I never went to college and I had a big chip on my shoulder about that. And I, I worked for many startup companies. And what I've learned when I was 40 is I'm an amazing consultant. So, you know, I was able to consult a hundred companies and I launched a business in a year and I, I built a significant run rate and, and dozens of clients extremely rapidly. I, I mean, at a speed that's probably one of the fastest uh, rates ever because it's just what I naturally do. I sprint at things. I love to meet with people and see what I can do in the first 90 days. I love to crack a funnel, solve a problem and, and get a result rapidly. That's just been my niche in a niche. For me, I had that chip on my shoulder and I probably waited 10 years to go in business for myself. I applied to Salesforce and LinkedIn dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, and I finally got in and they relaxed the college restriction. But I think I had something to prove and a chip on my shoulder far longer than actually having the skill and ability for someone who just had the degree. And it could have been a degree in sociology or degree in art history, but because of the degree, they didn't have that chip. So I would encourage people, if you have a limitation like that, or if you didn't go to college and you're in sales or marketing or running your own business, don't let people judge you or feel that you're somehow less, or you have to uh, overcompensate for that. This is a strange career one. I'm sure there's been harder things in my life, like, you know, the death of family members or different things that I've overcome. But this is a self limiting belief that kept me from earning a certain amount and kept me from going out on my own, it kept me from believing that I could be a published author. And as soon as I conquered that, it, it, the success has been unlimited. Like Tony Robbins says, you burn the ships Right. If you are the product, there's nowhere to hide. So you better believe in yourself because if you're selling Salesforce, that's great. I believe in it. Everybody loves it. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, if you're the product, you got to believe in it.
0: Man, that's awesome. Share with the audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement because again, you know, somebody may be walking that road and they're saying, but you know, Justin, I'm in my mid 30s or I'm in my mid 40s and I didn't go to college. I just I've always wanted to do it and I haven't done it, whatever it is that they haven't done. And you've been talking about just just going out there and doing it. And I, I love And that's been the theme that I've heard in the last in the last 20, 30 minutes that we've been talking is just go do something. So share with the audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement.
1: Yeah, I would say um, you need to believe in yourself Um you know, you can accomplish more in 10 years than you can in one year, so you have to be patient. And I would just say, you know, bet on yourself, your own self-esteem and your own self-belief. This isn't about narcissism or ego. You know, love yourself and make sure that you, um, you know, that you, that you figured out this internal psychology, this negative self-talk that plagues people. It's a real thing. It appears in your life, whether you think metaphysically or supernaturally. Um, it actually starts to become a real thing. So the more you can become your own, you can love yourself, the more the better things can happen around you, right? Sales is the transfer transference of belief. So believing in the product is not enough. People buy you, so you have to get right on the inside and. Uh, you know, cultivate a work-life balance. The 80-20 rule is real. 80% of your day is race. If you're grinding 20 hours a day, 80% of that is waste. You can't, you can't outrun the bear. You can't win this game by outworking everybody. That's not possible. So, um, yeah, I would, I would say there's a combination of advice there. Take good care of yourself, love yourself, practice self-care, meditate, balance yourself, exercise, eat right. And don't believe the hype that you just outwork everyone. I did. I gave up a decade of my life and I outworked everyone and I wasted a lot of time that I could have enjoyed. And I can't necessarily say I got richer, was more successful. I was just obsessive because I had that chip and I thought I had to, but I would have done just as well if I'd gotten a good night of sleep, you know, maybe lived a little better. And uh, I'm doing that now in my forties and I'm, you know, you can see I'm, I'm a lot brighter for it. So...
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Man, this has been an incredible conversation. I can't thank you enough for it. Tell folks where they can connect with you um, on your social media platforms. And if they want, you know, if they hear you on this podcast and want to reach out to connect, tell them how they can do that.
1: Yeah. So go to salesborgs.ai, like seller and cyborg, uh, salesborgs.ai, or just add me, Justin Michael, follow me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. But if you go put your email in there, you get all my free guides and access to my discord.
0: Man, that's awesome. Justin, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for, for an enlightening conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for everything. Have a great one. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his world. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, Time and any place can be an intention.